Educational Communications and this station present Environmental Directions with Nancy Perlman. On this series, we explore the effects of human influence on the Earth's ecosystems and discuss solutions to environmental problems which affect the quality of life on this planet. Environmental Directions gives you the kind of information you need to help you participate in decisions impacting your community, the nation, and the world. Now, here's your host, Nancy Perlman. Hello. For the next half hour, we are going to be talking about GMOs, glyphosate, and protecting our microbiomes with my guest, Jeffrey Smith. He is founder and executive director of the Institute for Responsible Technology. He is an author of two internationally best-selling books, Seeds of Deception and Genetic Roulette. He is also an award-winning filmmaker of over five documentaries, including the film Secret Ingredients and Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle. Welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much. Great to be here. And I think this is the second time we're talking. The first time was in 2009. Absolutely. And that's why I believe it is time for us to get an update. (laughs) Indeed. Absolutely. Before we do that, though, we have to define again the term GMOs. I know it means genetic engineering. What exactly is it? GMO, genetically modified organisms. Some people call it God move over. It's when you take genes from one species and force them into the DNA of other species, or you use other techniques like gene editing, and you rearrange genes, you knock them out. Basically, you start engineering the genetic code in ways that are done artificially in laboratories. And what's interesting, Nancy, is you can read all about the precision and the safety and the natural and that is hogwash. It turns out that it is not natural, not safe, not precise. It is prone to side effects. It creates massive collateral damage, and yet these are ignored by biotech companies like Monsanto, which is now Bayer, and it is ignored by countries that have given a green light to allowing gene-edited GMOs onto our food supply without any labeling or notification. It's actually very relevant right now, more than in the last 20 years. I've been working on this for 27 years, especially because of the new gene editing techniques like CRISPR, which makes it so easy to create a GMO. You can buy a CRISPR lab for less than $2,000, create your own GMO, and release it into the environment or the food supply and in most cases without even telling the government or consumers. There are certainly many health and environmental problems due to GMOs, yet they are seemingly everywhere now. One of the biggest places that we find dangerous chemicals like glyphosate is in one of the most widely used herbicides in the world, Roundup, which is made by Bayer that you mentioned. Yeah, so let's put the connection between the biological GMO and the chemical glyphosate. Monsanto owned the patent on glyphosate, which is the chief poison in their Roundup herbicide, but that patent was going to expire in the year 2000. So they were thinking, what can we do to force farmers to buy our version of glyphosate-based herbicides, Roundup, and not the knockoffs from China that were about to flood the market. So they are aware of how glyphosate 
kills plants, and it also kills bacteria. It's basically an antibiotic. But there were some bacteria growing in a chemical waste dump next to glyphosate. It wasn't dying. It was next to a plant of Monsanto's. And they said, great, let's put this in the food supply. So they took a gene out of the bacterium that allowed it to survive in the presence of glyphosate, and they put that gene into soybeans and corn and canola and then cotton and then eventually sugar beets and alfalfa. And they created a class of genetically engineered crops called Roundup Ready. The concept here is this. When you spray Roundup on a field, you'll kill all the plants on the field. When you have Roundup Ready crops growing, those have that engineered gene that allows them to survive when all of the other plant diversity is killed. So it becomes easier to weed as a farmer. You don't have to weed in advance or spray it or go around with a hoe. You can just spray right over the top of your genetically engineered soy, corn, cotton, canola, sugar beets or alfalfa. Now the problem is, there's many problems, but one of the problems is that glyphosate in Roundup goes inside the plant and then congregates in the food portion that we eat. And glyphosate turns out to be very dangerous for health in spite of Monsanto claiming that it's safe. It's linked to 40 diseases. It can damage your microbiome block the absorption of minerals. It's declared a class two carcinogen by the World Health Organization. It damages the mitochondria. It can interfere with neurotransmitters and hormones. There are so many things that it does. It basically devastates the foundation of human health, creating leaky gut, causing birth defects. All these things are traced back to glyphosate in peer-reviewed published studies. And now we have Roundup Ready foods that have glyphosate on them. So we might think that the main problem with GMOs is the glyphosate or the Roundup, but there was a Professor Seralini from France, an expert toxicologist, who decided to see, well, is it the glyphosate or is it the Roundup-ready corn? Because Monsanto had done some research on Roundup-ready corn fed to rats, and there were more than 50 statistically significant changes in the group that were eating the Roundup-ready corn. They were all concerning, showing early stages of organ damage. So Seralini fed rats for two full years, essentially the lifetime, and found that those that were fed Roundup Ready corn that had been sprayed with Roundup suffered from multiple massive tumors, premature death, and organ damage. But another group was just fed water I mean, they're fed regular corn, not the Roundup Ready corn, and glyphosate in their water. And they, too, had multiple massive tumors, early death, and organ damage. So one might think, aha, it's the glyphosate. But another group was fed the Roundup Ready corn that was never sprayed, and they, too, developed multiple massive tumors, early death, and organ damage. So there's two very serious toxins associated with the Roundup Ready corn, the corn itself and the Roundup spray on it. There's also corn that produces a toxic insecticide. It breaks open little holes in the guts of insects to kill them, and it's been found in high concentrations in laboratory experiments to break the same holes in human cells. Not something you want to put in your body. So we have three toxins associated with GMOs. The GMO themselves, the Roundup 
sprayed on it, and the Bt toxin produced in every cell of these plants turned pesticides. And that's why we can find modes of action, causal links between GMOs and inflammatory bowel disease, various cancers, obesity, anxiety, diabetes, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, high blood pressure, autism, insomnia, celiac disease, kidney problems, all sorts of birth defects, intestinal infections, deaths from various sources, senile dementia and whatnot. We can identify now that this component of our food is likely a main driver of illness. I don't have time in this interview because we have a lot to cover, including the more recent GMO 2.0, but we have enough data so that when I present at medical conferences, the audience essentially becomes committed to prescribe non-GMO and organic diets to their patients because they realize how dangerous it is from the data, and then they report back to me the dramatic improvement in health in their patient communities. That's what I wanted to make sure everyone understands. The way to get out of this is to eat organic, which does not allow either GMOs or Roundup. You have certainly made a good case for changing our diet and getting rid of GMOs in our diet to protect our health. And there are other issues involved because the poor sustainable farmer in so many countries are not able to raise their crops in a sustainable way when they have to spend their money to buy the herbicides. And that's a major issue. What about farmers in developing countries? using GMOs? Most of the developing countries do not, but India is a case where Monsanto bought a big interest in a cotton seed company and forced cotton growers to use the GMOs by, well, for many reasons. And it's been a disaster. The cotton is not reliable. It doesn't always work. It doesn't always germinate or produce the yields. It's been estimated 250,000 cotton farmers who use GM cotton committed suicide because they had borrowed money from from essentially loan sharks at very high interest rates because they were promised to make wealth from these new magic seeds and they were not even making enough money to pay off their debts, let alone have profit, and they didn't want to lose their land after generations. It's been an absolute catastrophe, and they don't work as planned. There was a lot of fraud in the promotion of it, and leaked documents show that the government is fully aware of the massive disruption and loss of life. The health issues that you mentioned are serious enough that recently the country of Mexico actually took measures so that the tortilla makers can only use non-GMO white corn. That's right. And the United States, which has been marching lockstep with the biotech industry for decades, is suing Mexico to try and force feed the Mexicans the GMO corn. And the Mexican government has put together groups of scientists to compile the health and environmental dangers of corn in order to defend themselves in the lawsuit. What I have done for years is put together just those sets of data and evidence, and it's overwhelming. So if the people of Mexico do a good job, and my hope is that they don't just present it at the courts, but that they broadcast it throughout the world, it could backfire and the rest of the world will say, oh my God, we're feeding our consumers this very nasty stuff, which could be the reason why there's 
vast increases in many of these diseases. All the diseases that I mentioned have been on the rise, rising in parallel with the increased use of GMOs and Roundup. And I don't think it's just a correlation. I think it's causation because I see the same diseases or their precursors in the animal feeding studies, in the clinical reports, in the human reports, and in the modes of action which can explain why these particular diseases are associated with consumption of GMOs. We are so concerned about climate change and carbon emissions. And in Europe, they have pointed out that the non-GMO soybean meal has fewer carbon emissions. We don't normally hear about what kind of crop is grown as affecting carbon emissions. It's true, but what happens is the biotech industry jumps on any trend and tries to capitalize on it. GMOs will feed the world, actually. It works against feeding the world. GMOs will reduce the use of agricultural chemicals. It blew up, in fact, so many more chemicals are used. GMOs will solve climate change. Actually, that's not true. It can work against it. In fact, it could devastate the planet. Now, what we've done at the Institute for Responsible Technology is we've pivoted a bit from looking at the dangers of the traditional GMOs, and we're looking at gene editing, like CRISPR, because the biotech industry has very quickly and efficiently bullied and convinced governments around the world that gene editing is safe and predictable and natural, which is not true. We have a film at responsibletechnology.org, just a six-minute animated journey into the DNA, which is called Seven Reasons Why Gene Editing is dangerous and unpredictable. It's summarized by the journal Nature when they had an article describing the results of CRISPR used on human embryos, and the results they described were chromosomal mayhem. So this very disruptive technology is being used on food with no safety requirements, no testing, and the food can be put on the market without anyone even knowing that they're eating it. Now, let's bring it back to the climate change issue. We know in the bigger sense, when you give people a CRISPR kit and they're giving it now, they're buying it in high schools and allowing the high school biology classes to produce massive numbers of genetically engineered organisms. It's being used by all these companies and entrepreneurs in this big gene rush that everything with DNA is being targeted. Trees, grass, insects, birds, fish, everything with DNA is being targeted. Now, a GMO is prone to side effects. A G GMO once released can't be recalled. There's no safety studies to protect and investigate what's happening. And we have now a recipe for disaster where this generation could end biological evolution as we know it by replacing nature incrementally with all of these accident-prone new organisms that were not the results of the billions of years of evolution, but the results of a dangerous technology. So in the bigger sense, we have arrived at that inevitable time in human civilization where we need to lock down this most invasive and aggressive technology that we've ever seen, where all living beings and all future generations could be affected by the folly of the choices we make now. But of all the different species that we can genetically engineer, the most dangerous are the microorganisms. The microorganisms and the communities of microorganisms called the microbiome, they dictate human health, 
soil health, even atmospheric weather patterns, rainforests. The algae produces most of the world's oxygen. The fungal networks shuttle nutrients between trees. The soil microbes produce healthy crops and plants. They draw down carbon from the atmosphere, and a healthy microbiome can determine the health of an individual for their lifespan. And yet, we are releasing genetically engineered microbes that can travel, mutate, swap their genetically engineered genes with other microbes, because this is what microbes do. And we're introducing elements that did not co-evolve with us, with the environment, that can throw off this delicate balance in a way that is untrackable, irreversible, and possibly devastating. So whether it's human health or the environment, we are putting it all at risk by flooding the environment with millions of varieties of genetically engineered microbes just from high schools and college students, let alone the agricultural companies that are putting, let's say, 5 trillion organisms, genetically engineered organisms per acre on 3,000 acres, hoping that just what they intend will happen, not paying attention to the fact that this is a leaky technology that's prone to side effects. And there's so much more to know about the genetically engineered organisms, GMOs, and we're going to talk more about that in a moment with my guest. Jeffrey Smith, who is founder and executive director of the Institute for Responsible Technology. Environmental Directions with Nancy Perlman continues with further discussion of the world's critical ecological issues. For more information, you may call 310-559-9160 or go to www.ecoprojects.org. Now, here's Nancy. I'm speaking with Jeffrey Smith, founder and executive director of the Institute for Responsible Technology, who has done many books and films about the dangers of GMOs to both our health and to the environment. You've described major problems with GMOs, and your organization has so many resources to give the data that supports why you are concerned about this. In fact, 48% of the world's consumers acknowledge that GMOs are unhealthy, both to ourselves as individuals, to wildlife, and to the environment. You mentioned GMOs 2.0. What is GMO 1.0 versus 2.0? The 1.0 is how they created the soybeans and corn. They took gene guns and blasted millions of particles of tungsten or gold coated with gene constructs into plates of cells for plants and clone them into the GMO plant or they infected the cell with bacteria and then cloned it. The GMO 2.0 one of them is uh, gene editing which we've been talking about where you put a little genetic scissors inside and it cuts it according to a guide so you cut here, cut here, cut here with an intention that when it repairs itself it'll have a change that you want. Unfortunately there's massive collateral damage, cutting in the wrong place, deletion of genes, addition of genes, shattering of genes, loss of chromosomes. It's a mess. However, there's other GMO 2.0, like gene drives that can wipe out organisms, RNA interference technology that you can put into sprays that can potentially reprogram our DNA expression, and the list goes on. But I think it's important to address a lie of the biotech industry that wants to use gene editing to 
save the world from climate change, saying we need to genetically engineer plants so that they draw down more carbon or genetically engineer soil bacteria so it draws down more carbon. This is a very dangerous claim and it's a very dangerous way to use GMOs. Right now, the natural organisms in the soil can draw down carbon to a massive extent. If we enhance them with regenerative agriculture, increasing the biology, the microorganisms in the soil, we can bring down so much carbon into the soil where we can get to pre-industrial levels. Well, let's put it this way. The soil alone can take out 100% of all carbon emissions per year. If we also reduce emissions, we can get to pre-industrial levels. So what we need to do is to develop the biology of the soil. That we know how to do with natural microbes and proper regenerative farming techniques. But when you introduce a genetically engineered microbe, you can't tell what it's going to do. We've only characterized about 1% of the trillion microbes out there, and we do not speak their language. They are far more complex, rich, and powerful than we have given them credit for. So when we introduce a new gene into a microbe that now is swapped to others and others and others, we may reduce the ability accidentally of soil microbes to draw down carbon. And it's not just applying microbes to the soil. A released genetically engineered microbe as a probiotic for consumption, as an accidentally released genetically engineered microbe from a synthetic biology plant, any source of genetically engineered microbes, if it has a survival advantage and it starts to spread and takes up a niche, could damage the ability of the soil to draw down carbon. I'm going to describe a near cataclysm. It's in the film, Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle. It's a 60-minute film available for free at responsibletechnology.org. And the basic phenomenon is a well-meaning set of scientists created genetically engineered microbes to distribute to farmers to help them turn crop residues into alcohol so they wouldn't have to burn those residues. They can make extra money on the farm, and they would have nutrient-rich sludge they can spread on the soil. If they had released it as planned, and this is in the film, theoretically, it could have ended terrestrial plant life. Theoretically, if it spread, if it became the dominant species, if it pushed out its natural counterpart, which is in the root structure of every plant on the planet, it could have turned the roots to alcohol and it had been a cataclysm wiping out terrestrial plant life. Another genetically engineered microbe, had it been released as planned, could have theoretically altered weather patterns irreversibly. You can look at the film to see those, but those are just two genetically engineered microbes that would have made absolute cataclysm had they simply done what they were designed to do, but better than they were designed in different ecosystems. But I'm talking about the fact that microbes actually travel and swap genes with other microbes. So what you release in the soil could end up in the gut. What you release for consumption may end up in the soil. And we have no way of predicting. So our Institute for Responsible Technology is spearheading a new global movement to prevent the release of all genetically engineered microbes on the planet. We're looking for new 
national laws, international treaties. We invite everyone to come to responsibletechnology.org to sign up to get regular notifications, action steps. Please make a donation. This is a urgent matter. Many people consider it more dangerous than climate change, yet very few people know about it, and we require financial resources to actually create new laws and international treaties. We want to create a movement of movements so that the climate change movement, the regenerative agriculture movement, the human health movement, environmentalism, ocean preservations, all of these groups realize that their success depends on the success and the maintenance of a healthy microbiome, and it is at risk like never before in history. So it's our responsibility to redefine our relationship with nature as its protector now that we have the capacity to do such harm. While your organization is based in Iowa, you live in California, you have people all over the country. Is this an international movement? How many organizations in other parts of the world are fighting GMOs? Well, there's organizations everywhere. I've been hosted in 45 countries as a speaker, and many of those countries have many organizations. It's interesting that individually they have not been able to stop this deregulation of gene editing. Now the big battlefield is EU. Right now, the biotech industry has convinced the European Commission to want to deregulate the new GMOs from gene editing. But the scientists that are aware of the problems, the organizations, they're now rallying to hold the line. And that is absolutely critical, because if the EU goes and allows GMOs from gene editing to be sold on the market without any labels or testing, that would be a catastrophe for all of us because so many countries do not dare create products that would be illegal to import into the EU so it suppresses the development of GMOs in other countries. I'm so pleased that you are leading this effort to make the public aware and to take action. Your nonprofit organization has a wealth of information from your films, from your books. You have a shopping guide, what we should buy, what we shouldn't, extensive list of items. What information is in your shopping guide? The shopping guide describes how to avoid eating GMOs. Now, we recommend actually eating organic because that avoids GMOs and foods that are sprayed with Roundup because Roundup is also sprayed on grains and beans just before harvest. Even if they're non-GMO, it dries down the product, it helps them ripen more quickly. So you want to avoid both the Roundup and the GMOs by eating organic. If you can't eat organic, consult the shopping guide to tell you how to avoid GMOs. And then we also have a glyphosate residue database, which tells you which foods have high levels of glyphosate residues, and you don't want to eat those unless they're organic. People can read your books or they can watch your films to learn more about this critical issue. What are some of those films and what's the difference in them? Well, my first film was Hidden Dangers in Kids' Meals, which was that, why GMOs were dangerous for children. I did a short film called Your Milk on Drugs, Just Say No, about genetically engineered bovine growth hormone. Genetic Roulette, the movie was a big hit, seen by over 2 million people, played over 300 times on PBS stations. And the most powerful convincer for people to avoid eating GMOs and to switch to organic is Secret Ingredients, that shows what actually happens to people when they switch to organic. Autistic kids who are no longer on the spectrum, in couples have kids, all these other conditions get resolved. And Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle describes the dangers of genetically engineering microorganisms.
You lead courses and trainings. You have organized over 10,000 grassroots advocates to deal with this issue. You're encouraging people to have the United States Department of Agriculture label our products so that we know if we're getting GMOs in the various items that we buy. And there's so much more. And I wish we had time to continue our update on this important issue because since we talked in 2009, it seems as though it's gotten worse, not better. Well, two things happened, Nancy. First of all, in order to contain GMOs, we wanted to get a sufficient number of consumers to reject them, and we did. So there's about half of the world's population believing GMOs are unsafe, as you mentioned, and that has contained it to about 12 GMO crops. But now that we have gene editing and everything with DNA is being targeted and there's stealth GMOs that no one can avoid because no one knows they're there, now we have to double down with new demand. So we were very successful for the first, say, 20 years, and now we have been sort of flanked by the biotech industry that got the governments of the United States, Canada, the UK, India, Japan, Australia, Brazil, Argentina, and others to turn a blind eye to gene editing which is a catastrophe in the making for all living beings, all future generations, biological evolution as we know it, and our food supply. And the most urgent, the most urgent thing that we need to do is protect the microbiome because it may take generations for large animals to be genetically engineered and to build out herds and to release them. They'll have a big impact. But it takes a few minutes for microbes to multiply to vast numbers that can then travel and mutate and swap genes and change the nature of nature. It is possible to have agriculture and provide the food necessary on this planet for all our billions of people without GMOs, but yet you are a nonprofit organization with donations and community activists competing against multi-billion dollar international companies and governments who support this. Are we going to see a change soon so that our health and our environment is protected? I certainly hope so, Nancy. I don't want a situation where we have a catastrophe or cataclysm and then we say, oh, we should now pay attention to it. The pandemic actually makes people more sensitive to the fact that microbes can travel and wreak havoc. The demand to end gain of function is only partially correct. They don't realize it's not just potentially pandemic pathogens that can wreak havoc. Even common everyday microbes can cause catastrophes if we alter their genetic code. I appreciate very much your efforts to protect people's health and the environment, to make us aware of how dangerous genetic engineered organisms are. Thank you so very much for being my guest. Thank you, and I hope we can get together again before another 14 years pass. Absolutely. I think this issue requires an update every year. Looking forward. I have been speaking with Jeffrey Smith, who is founder and executive director of the Institute for Responsible Technology. I'm Nancy Perlman. Thank you very much for joining us, and do tune in again next week. If you would like free information, about these environmental issues, go to www.ecoprojects.org or call 310-559-9160. Environmental Directions with your host, Nancy Perlman, is a community affairs program of the nonprofit organization Educational Communications and this station.